0: This is our last pod for 2022. We'll be back in 2023 with a whole bunch of new guests. Thanks for listening. If you've got any ideas, please reach out to Chronic Pain Australia. We look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy this episode. This is Mr. Payne, a a pod that aims to support Australian men who live with chronic pain Um, and in our first series we've centred on topics relating to how chronic and persistent pain intersects and and influences family and personal relationships. So today we're very lucky to have uh, Dr. Joshua Pate join us for our episode. Um, Josh is an accomplished pain scientist, he's a producer of a range of pain education resources uh, his children books, his, his TED-Ed videos and his very own video interview series called One Thing are educating audiences in the millions. Um, I'm looking forward to Josh sharing how pain affects the whole household and how social stories play an important part in shifting societal understanding of chronic pain. Welcome to Mr. Pain, Josh.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brent.
0: Now I will let everyone know this is the second time we've recorded this episode. We had some technical issues the first time, so um, yeah, it'll it'll be a much slicker production. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe just if you could share with the audiences a little, the audience a little bit about yourself uh, and how you come to, um, I guess, uh, present in this in this quite niche space in terms of pain.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, so I I have three young kids, so I'm a dad. Um but I, I guess my work work with kids in pain um started well before that. Um even actually before I got married and became an uncle through marriage. I, um so yeah, I I graduated as a physiotherapist and started working um in a children's hospital and really loved it. Like I and and I think there's so much to be learned from Um, how to engage someone in like doing their exercises and different things like that. And so, um, yeah, then doing some work with the pain clinic there and then doing a master's of research and PhD, eventually heading down that research path, um, but keeping the links with the pediatric world um, has meant that my focus became on the benefits of education, but keeping that as simple as possible. So like, I guess one really big driving question for me is what's the least amount of education that you could provide (laughs) that is really really helpful and because we know like definitely that a fair bit of education makes a, a difference on average for a lot of people but everyone is so different and and some people aren't ready to hear anything and other people need to hear a lot and other people just need to be told one or two little things um so my research is really focused on on how that looks and I guess what's tricky in a in a pediatric setting is that when you if you help a child and then they're going home and their parent says one thing, their teacher says something else and they spend 40% of their waking life with their teacher. Um, And then maybe in the afternoons, they spend a lot of time with the particular sporting coach and they all saying they're all saying different things. Like maybe one of them saying it's safe for you to exercise. And then the next one saying, be careful, don't bend over. And then the other person saying they should be laying in bed all day. Um, Like those mixed messages from really influential people in their life, it's it's not only like making it hard it's almost kind of worse than if you didn't provide the education like so I I guess we don't want to add um, and start saying like as researchers oh we should be giving all this education and we should do this and this and this like unless the whole of society changes and so my research questions kind of are getting bigger and bigger um, and somewhat inspired by Things like Slip Slop Slap um, where or, or the recycling revolutions and some of these successful uh, mass public messaging campaigns have worked. I'm, I'm really fascinated by what that could look like um, in the pain space.
0: That's brilliant. I mean, that generational change is something which is of real interest, isn't it? And as you say, some really successful examples there in terms of the Slip Slop Slap model. Um in, in a I guess, in a practical sense, you know, educating children, as you say, the challenge of, of bringing adults along for that journey and, and the important role that they play in terms of the consistency of the messages. Um, what are some of the common experiences I think, uh, you know, it'd be worth sharing with our audience that uh, you encounter in terms of, um, I guess, sort of educating, I guess, those those two very different audiences, children and adults at the same time?
1: Yeah, we we just had a paper come out like in the last week or so, um, and it was of children presenting to the, the pain clinic um, at Stanford Hospital um, in the US and and their parents, and they both filled out a questionnaire after a three hour assessment. And so you would imagine if there's ever a time that the child and parent are on the same page. It, it's probably after three hours of of going through this process and, and receiving a fair bit of education and, and kind of clear goal setting and all of that. Um, and and like, so the, the questionnaire that we developed in my PhD is called the concept of pain inventory. It has items like learning about pain can help help you feel, feel less pain or feeling stress can make you feel more pain and like quite provocative questions that hopefully drive education. Um, and we thought oh, well, if if a child scores one way on one question, the parent probably will too. And, and it's like we start analysing the data and the total scores of the questionnaires look pretty similar. And we're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. parents and children are similar. But when you break it down, the average is made up by really mixed messages. So um, like on average, overall, they look similar. But if you go down to like question two or something, um, they might be completely opposite. And I, I guess if you, yeah, if you imagine like from a health professional's perspective, they're trying to deliver a particular message or a particular intervention. And if that's being received in two opposite ways in that household, it's it really creates a lot of tension. And I think, um yeah, it's just such a challenge. Like, so not only giving clinicians a conversation starter and a language to use, but it's giving parents that ability to kind of understand what is their kid. Thinking and how do they communicate what they're feeling? Um, because say an eight to 12 year old, they haven't developed the ability to think abstractly like on average yet until they're, they're teens. So um, if you try and describe their pain as, uh, as something slightly abstract or use a metaphor to explain something, that might not be received in the way that you think about it. And, and likewise, they might say something and they're thinking very black and white about it. And you're thinking like it's a gray spectrum or something like that. Um, and, and there's so many examples of these kind of conversations and they're, they can be really awkward and divisive and and create lots of tension, um, not only at home, but also then in the sporting field and at school and, and with siblings and with whoever it is around them. Um, but yeah, it, I guess the big challenge is how do we give everyone that that standardized kind of language and framework to work from?
0: And just on that point, you've you've looked at children's books as a as a starting point, I guess. Um yeah. worth sharing, I guess, why you've selected that medium. I can reflect on my own experiences uh reading books to my own children. And probably I'm getting more out of some of them than than what they are. But <laughs> um and I guess you, you touch on this sort of role of social stories in terms of sort of I guess sort of shifting that generational understanding. But yeah give us a little bit more detail on the children's books
1: yeah so sure so it's called zoe and zach's pain hacks and i guess one strategy straight from the get-go is that each book has one main message like one key learning outcome um but it's told in a story a relatable way so there's a character zoe zoppens she goes on all these adventures and and learns cool stuff and by the fourth book she sees her cousin zach is doing really well and and like he's managing his pain, and he he's kind of like thriving. He's back at school and all of that. And then in the last book, you it's, it fast forwards and you see Zoe going through a typical day, and you read her diary entries about how life is so different now that she has an action plan. Um, and then she kind of turns to the reader and says, like, it's your turn. Like, go and go and chat with your health professional. And here's a here's a template. And we've built this online platform. So if you go to zoeandzackspainhacks.com, it has all these free resources um, for for teachers and parents and clinicians and and kids primarily. Um, But but the idea is to try and to create a a setting and a place that you can keep coming back to. So a lot of these messages, what we're finding in the research is people change the way they think about pain quite a lot. And and even sometimes people can hold two opposite views depending on different scenarios. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, So they might appreciate the complexity of um, there's so many things that can turn the volume of pain up or down. Um, They might understand that in theory, or they might apply that in one scenario where they realize that, um, oh, when I'm feeling really stressed or angry, I notice my pain is worse. But then if they go for a run and they feel a niggle in their knee, they're not jumping to to consider those other biopsychosocial influences or their stress or their sleep or whatever. Like we often can come compartmentalize our learning a little bit but even within that it can change quite a lot and so children's to answer your question children's books are really good because you keep coming back to them like I don't know how many times I've read The Gruffalo's Child lately but but like it it, it really drives home like if and we've used lots of uh, literary techniques like rhyme and and you put the surprise on the left hand page so as you turn the page you see the surprise and um, all, all these like there's so many strategies about five years of work has gone into these books and um, I'm just really excited to see like our pilot testing is showing some really cool stuff um, but yeah keen to see how the kind of mass rollout happens in these next couple of months um, as it goes into schools around the world. So.
0: Really cool and obviously um, we'll get the links up and around the, the the books and the supporting resources uh, to accompany this pod. Um, you mentioned schools there just at the tail of, you, of your answer uh, of your response I guess you know, if we're looking into the future, what can, what could the future look like? Um, you know, pain, the complexity of pain, uh, how that's understood. Um, you know, what is that vision from your perspective?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an a increasingly large vision. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I think one big part, like we've been going down the path of, is trying to work out how do you change a school curriculum? To align it with the latest evidence and this happens in lots of areas of science and health as the evidence evolves it takes a long time for it to trickle through all these different policies in a government setting but school curriculums in other settings so like if you think about um, like what you learn at high school compared to what your grandparents learn at high school about science like there'd be lots of differences and the, the change is probably happening faster and faster like the, the gap between a, a scientific discovery and then when it's taught to a 10 year old is probably getting shorter but but it it could keep getting shorter and shorter and I guess I'd love to be a part of that effort to go what's that most important messaging that needs to be updated um, and so if you look at the early high school curriculum about science a lot of a lot of um, unhelpful frameworks like you really think about the body as a machine according to these textbooks and and the curriculum and. Um, there's lots of challenges, and and like in some ways, it's like, oh well, that's nice and simple, and it keeps it keeps it clear, and that's fine for an acute injury. It's kind of okay. It kind of makes sense, but but when we know so like with so much evidence that pain is truly biopsychosocial, and like and and it's so complicated all the time, why don't we teach that? And then that framework can be applied to fatigue and anxiety and all these other other like. Um, conditions where the autonomic nervous system is is challenged and working really hard and overprotecting or what, all these different terms that get used. Um, I guess it, the the vision is to work out how do we convey this, like again the the minimal like simple amount of information um, that's helpful. So not only is it scientifically accurate, the goal is that. We're giving helpful information, and so that's where potentially it might not be changing the the neuroscience curriculum, although that is a big buzzword in schools yeah. at the moment. Um, it might be changing it, like in terms of what's taught in the mental health and the health curriculums, um, particularly maybe in late primary school, where where kids haven't developed that like uh, that sense of self and their identity that they're different to their their parents and their siblings, um, which happens kind of early high school normally. Um, So it's like working out what's that pivotal time where you could introduce some of these ideas so that then for the rest of their life, that's the framework, that's the lens that they see the world through. Um, Rather than it being, oh, more pain is because of more damage, I should go and get more scans, more medications, or whatever it may be. um, It's Pain is really complicated. And that's the start. And if you start from that, I honestly, I think it's a very different journey that you can go down. Um, but in saying that every individual has a different journey. And so it's like working out what's the common ground here. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think the vision is um, that in the next generation, they, it would just become normal to appreciate the complexity of pain.
0: And again, there's a couple of elements there that sort of really stand out for me. One being, I guess, bring it back to the, I guess, the role that we play as adults and particularly parents um, and, reinforcing or a having that understanding being on the same page but then reinforcing that in household settings but before i go there i think it's worth touching on um, you know the incredible success of your ted ed videos particularly phantom limbs and the, and the science of pain which has now received millions of views what's it like to see that type of content up there and 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 seeing that that material sort of reach those types of numbers that, that from an audience perspective
1: yeah like it's honestly quite encouraging and motivating um and and like so you work years on on a research paper and it reaches a few thousand people um and that's great like and i i absolutely love being a researcher. i'm not talking that down at all but but engagement with the media um has so much potential to have a a larger positive societal impact i guess so um Mm. it's really exciting like i think you obviously there's a tension that you don't want to um change and like present findings that aren't robust enough yet and and then you've confused the the public um but i i really like like it's people like um i don't know dr carl and there's these kind of guys in australia who are doing this science communication stuff really really well um and so yeah that is really encouraging and inspiring to be a part of that like i get emails from that the mysterious science of pain one it's like kids doing science projects learning about the brain they email me or or parents with kids who have really um complex pain presentations and and then a whole bunch of clinicians going i use this in my program or university te- lecturers who, who use it in their their teaching um so yeah it's really cool to see i guess the take-home for me at the moment is like really high quality bite-sized resources have so much potential because of the internet and and the thing that's nice about doing it bite size, like one key message is that the best thing will like if if something better comes along it'll replace it naturally like and that's great like i i love that about the i mean there's problems with these algorithms online but but that's kind of a good part of it is if something's got a million views it's probably for some sort of reason and it might be for a bad reason but um, ideally people are becoming more equipped to to judge if information is good or not um, so yeah working with with ted ed has been a really cool experience like just seeing how they get the state of the art people like so for instance their animators aren't like paid by ted ed they they have people volunteer hey we want to we want to spend four to oh, twelve really? months animating because yeah. we know that like companies like pixar might hire us um, yeah. because of the video like they just look at the most viewed animations and um yeah like so it's interesting so ted ed have so many subscribers that naturally every video they produce is going to get this huge reach And so I just encourage, like, if there's people listening to this who have a really good idea that they want to tell the masses, like, you can, there's organizations out there who can do this stuff. Um, And if I compare what I could make. If I took on the role of narrator, director, producer, editor, (laughs) all of that myself, or or for the children's books is exactly the same situation. I like I could have a crack at stuff. (laughs) But if you let specialists in in these kind of fields do the do the hard work that they're really good at, um, it seems to be worth that intentional, like strategic approach.
0: Uh, you've got your your fingers in quite a few pies and you touched on before um, the, you know, the short form, um, the the power of short form content, I guess. Um, You are the co-founder of a a video platform which uh, taps into the minds of, I guess, some of the most brilliant people out there uh, in terms of pain experts. Um, And they're sharing the, the one thing that they want people who are challenged by pain to know. Um, I love this Josh I've I've watched pretty much all the episodes now Um, cool (laughs) it's it's a terrific medium and yeah as a resource it's 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 wonderful Um, where did that come from Um, perhaps yeah some of some of the highlights I guess of that video series with the audience
1: yeah sure there um, just so many anecdotes of people saying it was just that one thing that person said, and it changed my whole life. Like, so I'm thinking about patients when I ran adult pain, group pain management programs. Often those people who have really good long-term outcomes, they can look back at like a turning point, a particular sentence or or whatever it is. Um, And it was like, maybe that is, there is something in that. And maybe people like researchers have a particular thing that they just love to share. And it might be right it might be wrong but but they're so passionate about it and it's worth putting on the table like globally um and it's not just researchers so we were thinking oh this is great for people who don't have much of a platform like let's give them the chance to to convey their message but but equally like we get clinicians to share the stuff that they're saying day after day in their clinic to every single patient like why not put that on online so that you can repeat it and then i guess what has been most exciting for me is having Actual people challenged by pain share things. And in season two, we had a a teenager who had CRPS and recovered. And she just reflects on the stuff that she learned that was like absolute game-changing advice and experiences. And it's in a two or three-minute video. Like, it's just so cool to see someone succinctly explain that. And it might not mean that the person viewing it has the same experience, but at least like there's like, I mean, I think seven out of the episodes so far all mention there is hope. And like, and that's pretty cool that like the, the one thing a lot of people want to say is there is hope for people challenged by pain. Um, But yeah, well, I'm, I, I guess the challenge looking forward in the future where season three is going to be even shorter episodes, like we're going down to about three minutes um, and we're just going to see like, cause social media is constantly changing and and working out like what, what resonates and what will people want to share. Um, but balancing that with like the highest possible quality content. So we have this like mm. massive list of, of people we want on there eventually. Um, and so we just keep chasing as, as many people as we can. And we have lots of people nominating others now, um, to be on, on the episode. So um, it's been cool to see one thing grow. Like I, one, you get asked for an example, one really cool line. I loved when um, Professor Lorimer Mosley, he said, learning is does not happen to you. Um, like you have to engage in the learning and like that idea of it's kind of everything, right? Like mm. letting life happen to you is such a different approach compared to you stepping out and going, I'm going to learn, I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to try, like, and that's, that shift is really hard. And I'd imagine there's probably lots of people who have maybe like really severe depression or something who would hear that. And it's like, oh, you don't know what I'm going through. But mm-hmm. that might be the trigger then that they then go and discuss it with a health professional who then manages it really. Like, and because these things, it's not like you are stuck forever. Like change truly is possible. Um, and so, yeah, some of these messages are, are provocative um, but that's, I reckon, that's pretty intentional on the part of the the speakers.
0: <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, you're planting seeds in that sense, aren't you? And you yeah, know, the model that. I guess we're certainly trying to emulate here with this particular pod as well. Is you know, keep it short, keep it punchy, keep it really practical, and um, and yeah, cool. let's try and um, I guess sort of present all elements as they as they as they are relevant to to those individuals, and particularly in this case, men um, who are dealing with chronic persistent pain yeah we're, we're coming to the end josh is there anything else that you wanted to to sort of raise while we're sort of having a chat here um on we 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 could come back to that sort of that male influence in the family dynamic perhaps
1: yeah i guess i don't know like i i just think you guys are doing such a great job with chronic pain australia and the idea of peer support is just so so important um, and so I suppose like I hope that my research and the resources are helpful for people who are listening and and even if it's just to to be a conversation starter like maybe some of the dads listening are like oh, I want to tell my teenager how, mm-hmm. what I'm going through or, or whatever it is like that could be where the books might help or something like that and you and it's like you could even say look this book is for a younger kid than you but but like, what do you think of it? Like, and how would you explain it for someone, one of your friends, if you if you were the one who had pain, or like you could kind of put them in the driver's seat, which is what teens love. Um, but yeah, like I. I don't know, I, I'd love to hear feedback, I guess. And I want to work collaboratively with, with great organisations like you guys. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
0: no, it'd be brilliant. And I know at the back of last the last podcast we recorded, which didn't go to air, but obviously we, we had a discussion too around opportunities for National Pain Week in 2023 and how we could potentially, um, I guess, really put um, some of the elements that were discussed today on the radar and some sort of collaboration, if you will, um, yeah, we're really open to feedback and I think that's the thing you, when, you, when you're delivering, as you know, these mediums, um, these types of podcasts and whatnot, you never really know who you're talking to, you don't necessarily get that that immediate feedback, but um, you really encourage people who are listening to reach out to uh, either Josh himself and put his details up there, um, or also Chronic Pain Australia, um, who are responsible for this podcast Josh, I'd like to thank you. It's been a, another great chat and I'm sure we'll we'll continue to, to um, reconnect at certain points. But uh, once again, appreciate you, um, what you've been able to sort of provide for our audience today. And um, yeah, wish you a happy and safe uh, Christmas break.
1: Great. Thank you again for having me.
0: See you later. See you, Josh.